Succubus cast. You're Abby. And you're Rebecca. Wow. Welcome. And this is an anti-racist, anti-capitalist movie podcast, also feminist, which is going to come into play today because there is a lot of confusion, discussion, ambiguity about the feminism in this movie that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to unpack everywhere. If you're any, <laughs> any kind of marginalized group, you're like, guess I'll do all the emotional labor. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what are we talking about today? What movie? Today we're talking about the 1973 uh, movie The Wicker Man. Uh, we are releasing this podcast the week of Thanksgiving, a.k.a. National Day of Mourning. So we are doing a folksy hero. Folksy hero? Horror, that's what we do, horror. <laughs> a hero. folk horror movie. We have a and hero the Man in Christopher is, Lee. Yes, definitely. Like, a lot of things I read was like, Christopher Lee, our anti-hero. I was like, hell nah, he's the hero. The straight-up hero, yeah. <laughs> like, I do not want a religious cop getting the title of hero in any way, shape, or form. Ooh, and how he's such a bastard, too, that like, yeah, and I like, don't want to root for him. No, he's always sweaty and, like, yelling. One of my notes says constantly sweating. Sweaty, (laughs) yelling, and sexually frustrated. And just, like, really toxic man. But we'll dive into that. So, yeah, this is uh, being released on the day after Thanksgiving. And so if you ate a lot and you're still eating a lot and you're, like, dealing with your parents or whatever, stupid shit you're doing, take a step back and remember that it's National Day of Mourning for the indigenous peoples that were uh, in this land before we stole it and colonized it. So take a second to research the um, tribes whose land you live on. And if you guys work in a professional setting, I would encourage you to start bringing a land acknowledgement based on what you find out about the tribes whose land you live on to like meetings or, you know, whatever, even social stuff that you're doing. Uh, I think it's something that it's really important to be cognizant of. Uh, yeah. Abby is astute in her... I mean, God, I hate, like, I want to hate Thanksgiving and I want to, but I really like pie. We talked like about this last time. I like to eat pie. Uh, it's true, but I think that it's possible to have two things exist at the same time that are uh, opposing forces. So if you observe respectfully uh, and with presence of mind and in a way where you are not practicing cultural erasure, I think that you can take it with a grain of salt. But I think the most important thing is just, you know, if you live in a place where there are indigenous legislative agendas, just anything you can do to become more educated uh, about the tribes whose land you occupy and to support said peoples. Who have been doing just so much work. Talk about people of color doing all of the work is like, especially with the with this last election, we just survived an 89% turnout of indigenous populations overwhelmingly to eradicate. Who are literally our fighting for state. their life. Like, right. Who can't, you know, who we don't even like, have access. We think of a place that we move to, you know, us as colonizers. If you don't like the place that you live, you have the like imagined freedom and the imagined and constructed right to leave that place and go live somewhere else. But indigenous peoples whose land is being completely destroyed 
um, by various like measures from the federal government to use up the resources don't have an option to go somewhere else. Their sovereignty, their food, like every practice of their lives and their heritage is tied to the land. So we can't just explode and destroy and exploit and ravage the land indigenous peoples live on and be like, go somewhere else. Like, that's just not how it works. So just get your shit together. I also America, need to get my shit together. Yeah, everybody, all of us. Um, but as discussed in celebration of this autumnal holiday, we're doing a folk horror classic, horror. The Wicker Man. You going to tell us what happens? Ren? Yeah, let's <laughs> <laughs> let's bust it out. That's okay, not my nickname for you. It's other people's nickname for me. Nick's name. Nick's name. Um, it's a Rebecca is a long name to some people. They want to. Sometimes I it. say Bex, but it just sounds gross. I'm like Bex. You can Bex. call me Bex. People called okay. me have called me Becky, Becca. It's like a whole. You're I don't really care not a Becky. I'm definitely. It's ironic. I think because I'm the least Becky person who's ever lived. Um. Anyway, Strong statement from Rebecca, <laughs> a.k.a. Becky. Let's dive in. Becky, you can call me Becky if you want. I don't care. Uh, we open on a small seaplane over the ocean, heavy bagpipe music. Um, the pilot flies over beautiful Scottish countryside. There are two opening songs. We switch from bagpipe mu- music to another opening song. So I looked up the bagpipe music. The Ocon Ocon Ocree song mm-hmm. is a poem by... Uh, famed Scottish bard Robert Burns called The Highland Widow's Lament. And I was like, maybe I'll consider like what the context means in, you know, relationship to this movie. And then I was like, maybe I won't. So that's all I know about it. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> it's a Scottish song. It's, it's beautiful. A poem. A poem. Sung. And then we transition very abruptly to like a light 70s kind of like venture highway style song <laughs> yes. yeah like, it was a it was a quick transition i was jarred by it uh, i was still, jamming I, out i liked rig- both songs corn rigs are barley rigs are bonnie or rigs bonnie corn rigs that's all <laughs> yeah I, I it was it came up throughout the movie and every time i was like corn rigs I know. and barley rigs <laughs> i was <and> like <laughs> it came up like i was like this is not an appropriate time for this musical no. cue <laughs> Um, yeah, sometimes that music, I was like, is this a comical scene? Am I supposed to be, like, rom- romanticized like, into well, this? Like, <laughs> I'm swaying, baby. Oh, and um, then I did want to circle back super briefly. Uh, even before we get the opening scene, we get this, like, Chiron that pops up thanking mm. the residents of Summer Isle uh, and the Lord of Summer Isle for their insight and cooperation in making this film. So it was kind of like an early version of the found footage right. mockumentary film that dominate the genre story. today. Yeah. And I think there's so much ambiguity throughout the movie about whose side we should be on. I mean, ambiguity, if you're a... Jesus loving, cop loving yeah. white guy, but <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Over here, we're pro Lord Summer Isle for sure. Yeah, for sure, and his yellow turtleneck. But oh I think it's God. like cool to see that they are like, hey, enjoy this really ambiguous uh, approach to filmmaking and the hero antihero dynamic. And. Yeah, they, they like it's a pretty long, and they're like, "Thank you for your privileged insight into your yeah. 
into your religious practice. I don't know. It was cool. And no offense to anyone who needed the whole time to read it, but it was on the screen for like 45 seconds. I was like, yeah, I like opened another tab because I was was slightly distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the pilot flies over to town and into a harbor. He pops out of his little air seaplane window and calls over the microphone for a dinghy. It's a very polite exchange between Scottish people. Um, And the people on the shore ask if he's lost. Uh, He says no. But they say he needs permission from the Lord of Summer Isle because this is private property. Um, And then he's like, I'm a cop, bitch. Everything's my property. And then they bring him a dinghy. He points to the stripes on his jacket as if Yeah, like, I'm sorry, I have permission his... <laughs> to steamroll your opinions, thoughts, and yeah. uh, human sovereignty. So, fuck you, I'm a cop. Basically, yeah. Um, and they, the people on the shore are all looking on. People are popping out of their windows. It's clear that not many new people come to this island. Corn rigs uh, they... are not Bonnie in this situation. Uh, they're not Bonnie. <laughs> yeah. Not for how People are confused. So... The harbor master asks this police officer if he could explain to his lordship what brings him to the isle island because he's particular and how he replies that the police as well are particular and all in good time. Um, so he shows the harbor master and the other old white guys standing around a photo of a 12-year-old girl, Rowan Morrison, who's gone missing, and that's what brings him to Summer Isle. Um, he said he got an anonymous letter that said this child had gone missing, and it was addressed to him specifically. They all claim they don't know her, um, and Howie mentions the mother, Mae Morrison, and the men say she keeps the post office in the high street. Um, when So, without any warning, you know, this post office, we see it when he walks, he's walking the island and he gets to the post office. And it says May Morrison Post Office in big letters, but then it's also the most deranged candy shop I've ever it's seen. It's a in sweet my life. shop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, at first you don't see I was like, did he get lost on his way to the post office? He's there's so many Easter bunnies in here, like chocolate the Easter March bunnies. Match hairs. Match hairs, yeah. So uh yeah, she is like, do you want to march hair? And he's like, No, I'm a cop. Um Right. I'm serious. But I just want to pause and say that I actually did Google um, what March hares mean in Scottish folklore. Mm. And they're regarded as creatures with supernatural powers, and they're associated with moon deities and mm. often are found around circumstances of rebirth and resurrection, which Ooh. is also a thematic through line. Yeah, we'll see that movie. a lot. Through line. Resurrection through line too bad um, there's already a podcast named through line or we could name our podcast oh there's a through podcast line. called everything that's why we're the spooky succubus guest yeah, we were reaching y'all, name. but i'm yeah. happy with it uh wouldn't change a thing i love it um so how he gets to the sweet shop slash post office um and asks her about her missing daughter and she seems surprised and she says my daughter's not missing, um, and she says the girl in the photo is not her daughter, and then she introduces Howie to Myrtle, who's only nine, and she says, see, she's much younger than the girl in this photo, um, and Myrtle is painting a hair, really With hammering the home that... acuity of a person that has never even seen a paintbrush before. She's, like, really slapping that paint on that. Yeah, she was, she was doing some slaps. 
I know. And I was like, girl, it is water-based paint. Like, come on. Get some water in there. I can't even watch this. Yeah, the technique. Terrible. (laughs) But then Um, uh, Myrtle tells uh, Howie that she knows where Rowan is. She's in the fields because she's a hare. And she plays in the fields all day. Hares don't. And then, um, so Howie says... Do you think she'll come in to have tea? And then she says, Hairs don't have tea, silly. Um, and then Howie goes into the Green Man Inn. That sign was wild and crazy. The big eyes. I want to get the... it tattooed over my actual face. <laughs> I, I, I'd I be on board with that. Really? You would have to look no, at I it wouldn't. like three times a week. I'd, it'd be a cool tattoo, though. The, we should put it on eyes. Instagram. We'll put it on the Instagram. I didn't take a screenshot of that. Whoops. Um, so when he walks in, there's lots of music playing and it stops abruptly. They're all looking at him. Um, he speaks to Alder McGregor, the landlord, um, and asks him for a room and supper. And then Alder says his daughter Willow wi- will escort him. And then the room begins to sing a song about the landlord's daughter. There's an accordion and a fiddle. Um, and the There's lines are pretty a gross. There's vagina talk. It's very yeah. lecherous. Yeah. One of the lines, and when her name is mentioned, the parts of every gentleman do stand up at attention. So I wish I had that effect on gentlemen. <laughs> there's Just talk kidding. of what's between the left and the right foot. Yeah, gross. Who will? Um, yeah, it was and, pretty nasty, but I also was like, oh, yeah. Like, but it was I'm, kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, yeah. I'm disgusting. So I was like, tell me more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he show he's like, no sex talk on my watch. Right. I'm a police officer that loves he's, Jesus. So then yeah, he he's shows very customers. Displeased. Yeah, very disgusted. And also, like, you know, if you're a police officer, we know that ACAB and we know that they don't demonstrate professionalism and they're openly hostile and partisan. <laughs> but if uh. you are a police officer... Isn't there some level of professionalism you have to uphold on paper at least? He's like openly antagonistic for the whole almost time. no reason. Yeah. That's what I was in I was like he has no skills as a detective. Like he cannot blend in. He isn't charismatic. He is he can get he's stonewalled from every angle because yeah, he's because such a shit. Like, Pardon, you're a huge asshole. Yeah. Yeah, quit judging me immediately and maybe I'll I'll talk to you. Um, so then he, yeah, he stops this song in the middle and he, and he's sweating, of course, and he's super sweaty and he's like, I need my supper right now. And then he asks the crowd to look at this picture of the little, of the missing girl. Everyone in the room says they haven't seen her. And then we pan across photos of, uh, harvest from every year. And we see that 1972 is missing when Howie inquires as to why, Alder is like, I don't, it's broken. I don't know. Um, and then when Howie's eating dinner, he remarks that everything tastes like it's come out of a can. And why isn't there any fresh food? Uh, and Willow, So we're getting the point. Bad we're harvest. getting the point. Yeah. There was a bad <laughs> harvest. Um, Would you says, have sex with Alder McGregor? Ooh, I don't know. I know. His something voice. Something is actually wrong with me because when I first saw him, I was like, gross. But then I was like, meh. Yeah. No, there was a, like a, had a guy with like a blonde guy with like short, shoulder length hair and the mustache as he was playing the fiddle. I think he was was playing the fiddle. Yeah. And in this case, definitely a fiddle, not a violin. There's, Mm. you know, there's a distinction. Fiddle heavy. Yeah. Did Um, you know that my great grandpa, 
when I was a little kid, he he was a carpenter and he made me a fiddle because he thought I had nimble looking fingers. Aww. And now I just have a fucking fiddle I can't play. What am That's I going to so do with cool. it? <laughs> do you think I'm too old to learn? No. Yes, I already decided I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think you don't want to learn. Uh, I just feel like I'm already doing so many things that are going to lead me to arthritis, like embroidering, painting, like all of the shit I do. Like I am racing towards rheumatoid arthritis. Am I going to add fiddling? Right. You got to move your fingers a lot. I tried to, I wanted to learn how to play the piano, like maybe a couple of years ago. I, nope. Well, yeah, your mom. But I was like. My mom wasn't my teacher, actually. My mother was a piano teacher, but we fought so much that I had to get a different teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there's YouTube. I can teach myself. And my brother-in-law has a keyboard. And then I like, I like put all the, I got halfway there and then I was like, nah, I've got other shit to do. If I'm going to spend, I'd rather paint than like. Yeah, I feel like. Do something I'm bad at. New hobbies are good. But also, I'm lazy, and it's true that if I'm not instantly talented at something, I'm like, this is an outrage, and I'm going to lie down. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not I'm not a virtuoso at this, so I gotta go. Wouldn't um, it be crazy to discover, like, totally randomly that you have, like, a natural gift for something super obscure? Like, what if you were really good at playing the harp, and you just, like, knew how to do it? That'd be fun. That'd be wild, right? That's what, like, I'm such a narcissist that I think, like, as soon as I pick something up, I should, like, have an automatic You're the kind of narcissist talent. that's also, like, I have no value and I will go dig a <laughs> hole and sit in it. You're very yeah, special. That's true. <laughs> I've got both sides. It's fun. Self-deprecating. Oh, it must be great to be in your brain. <laughs> Ooh, it's tough times over here. Ooh, shit. Okay, so after dinner... Howie goes to walk the island, and then he sees a few couples having sex, just really dramatically, like, flailing. The and, flailing. Like, and the they flailing go into slow motion. It's, yeah. So I think it's supposed to evoke sort of, like, a group dynamic and flow of the, right. in the scene, but it just makes me feel They're like, far apart, though. They're, like, they're not close enough together yeah, for it to be an orgy. Just, like, they're, like... You guys, if you've seen this movie and you have sex like this, let us know, but... It just seems like, I don't know, like you'd throw out your back or something. If you all, that, <laughs> all the flailing. Uh, and then people are watering graves. There's a naked woman openly weeping on a tombstone. And for this, it, it pushes him right over the edge. Um, oh, he's not okay. Is it weird that I just saw that and I was like, eh. She's sad. Yeah, you can Maybe be naked and sad lover. at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever. She's just sad. Leave her alone. Um, so he storms up to his room at the top of the stairs he writes in his journal he prays he remembers his time taking the eucharist you know it's uh he's generally just really boring and then willow so before we dive into this scene i have to tell you the first time i saw this movie i had uh tonsillitis so i had a really high fever and i was kind of (laughs) like drifting in and out of being awake and this scene that we're about to talk about like was pretty much the fucking weirdest thing I'd ever seen when I woke up from, like, a half nap and heard her singing. So <laughs> I, it's really, like, embedded in my mind's eye, truly. This was a weird scene for me, and I don't have a high fever, and I was wide awake. It was strange. Um, yeah. So Willow comes, tries to knock on his door, and then she goes into the room, 
next to him shares a wall and she starts singing and banging on the door and and like writhing up against it she's it was a good song though it was yeah she's got a beautiful voice she's dancing up against mustard colored 70s curtains um everything in this movie is so brutally 70s so 70s (laughs) i kind of like those curtains though i love a good mustard um but she's got swoopy breasts and rhythmic yeah, banging. Yeah, we discussed and... the swoop before and these yeah. are truly a perfect 70s swoop and the nipples yeah. are like, whose nipples look like that, honestly? Do your nipples look like that? I don't think so, no. I don't spend a whole time, a lot of time looking at them, but I doubt it. Uh, uh, let's dive in on that, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Howie is tempted and he's also pressing himself up against Guess the wall. Guess how sweaty he, he is because it's so a million sweaty. sweaty. <laughs> Him in his nightgown. And the dancing um, that she's doing, I mean, it's not the kind of like chill dancing I do when I'm alone in my apartment. It's like jerky. It has sort of like a primal ritualistic slant to it. And yeah. um, it's like hypersexual but also nothing has ever turned me on less oh yeah it's like because she's so naked weird. but like yeah. the way she's like moving i'm like ooh, you're gonna Whoa, yeah like you're gonna Jesus. hurt yourself don't pull a hammy yeah <laughs> honestly um did i sound like a sport person just don't then? pull a hammy watch <laughs> out for your achilles tendon i don't know so we just see how he's sweating for like four minutes he's so yeah he wants to be gross. there with her but he's honestly he could have prevented a lot shit. of trouble for himself if he had just had sex with her we'll get into that yeah sorry small Oops, spoilers um so willow says she it comes in the next morning um and says she expected oh, to see we him get our we get our first phallus mm. in the movie because we get our first shot of the maple phallus yeah and there's like phalluses everywhere and so she comes in to wake him up in the morning and she says she thought she would see him coming in she thought she thought thought she would see him in her room last night because she invited him and he says he's engaged to be married and he doesn't believe in sex before then um and then willow says she that he ought to leave before may day because he'll be offended um, and then the Maypole is being set up. They're singing of there are little a lot boys of songs in this movie. Dog. It's basically a musical. Um, <laughs> I know because it's like, okay, sure, I would believe it more if it wasn't so overproduced. But it's like they transition from regular dialogue to a song that like was clearly recorded in a sound studio. It's like mm-hmm. so hyper clean. I was like, couldn't this just be like the kids singing? I would have believed it more. But I guess we I still liked it. I don't love a lot of singing, but I was I was interested in what the lyrics said. So it's about a boy growing up like a strong tree, right? Yeah. On the bed there was a girl, on the girl there was a man, and from that man there was a seed. And on the seed there was a boy. I did, yeah. I was just so entranced. I was like (laughs) 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 choir of boy singing. Um and then Okay, backtrack. I wasn't entranced by a choir of young boys singing. It's a okay. correction corner. It was a good. It was a good song. Um, how so it goes? What is? Ha- oh, you were just. I'm like, Whoa, but you. Were there. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Move forward, madam. He walks past the maypole into a class full of girls. The female teacher asks them what the maypole represents, and all the girls except for Daisy, who um, 
has some problems. She they shout That's with glossed excitement over pretty fast. Yeah, Ooh. and Daisy clearly is neurodiverse, and instead of being like generous or inquisitive about you know how she's approaching something, Howie is just like openly hostile to her and yells at her. Yeah. So and the teacher is also like, "Come on, Daisy, you should fucking you know stupid this, stupid whore." Yeah. yeah. Um, so all the girls are like, it's a phallic symbol, and they're shouting, and then this really whips Howie into a rage. Um, and they say, the teacher says, the image of the penis is venerated in religion such as ours as a symbol of generative force in nature. So they're really all about the dick in this Yeah, Howie's super pissed, so he takes Miss Rose, the instructor, outside and says he's going to report her. And she's like, I don't think that you have authority like, in matters whatever. of education, <laughs> yeah. so shut the fuck up. Um, and then he doesn't ask her permission, but takes over the class or starts erasing shit off of her chalkboard without her consent. Um, and it looked like it took her a long time it was to... well-written. It's neat writing, yeah. yeah. I was like, that's obnoxious. Um, and then he writes Rowan Morrison on the board, and then he passes, has the girls pass around the the photo of her um and they all say they don't know her and then he points to an empty desk and asks whose that is and then he opens it and there's a little poor little beetle tied to a nail who just keeps circling it um and then daisy points this out that it just gets closer up to the nail and then he gets pissed at her and slams the lid um he doesn't even rescue the beetle i know like if you're so pissed off about it you're so mad the the beetle beetle out out of there and, like, obviously Daisy is doing that for some reason. And, like, there's no exploration. Like, Daisy, I don't know what her purpose is. Like, it's she's just, I think, there to demonstrate, like, their grotesque nature of how the learning is working in the classroom. Right. But also, I mean, it just, like, feels like a loose end the way that they treat this, like, neurodiverse character that obviously requires support that is outside of the realm of the people around her. But then, I don't know, it just, like, sort of serves to criminalize Howie and the Islanders, too. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm confused. What are you trying to tell me? Which is why I just glossed over it, moved past right. it. With this girl. She <laughs> does in, look don't about Don't interrogate 30. things that make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so then Howie he... looks 100 years old, I have to tell you. I was like, you. he's a virgin. How old is he? He's engaged he's a, to be married. He's an 80-year-old virgin. Oh, my goodness. No shade. I mean, some people don't want to have sex. Some You're people asexual, are asexual. That's fine. Some people just aren't into it. But Howie is... Clearly, under control. (laughs) He's clearly like sexually frustrated and wants to bone, but like cannot bring himself from. Yeah. So on the subject of Howie, I was so frustrated to watch his arc unfold, and obviously very satisfied by where it turned out. Mm -hmm. But this is like a moment where his sexist, patriarchal nature is totally on display. Uh, because he's completely blinded by his own arrogance and he is unwilling and unable to think that anyone in his classroom, a female teacher and her like 12 to 13 year old female pupils have any ability to con him, fool him or like I think he just thinks everybody around him is stupid. He's so yeah. blinded by his own arrogance that he writes this name on the board and I'm like, do you have the right name? Like you went to You don't Morrison. even fucking know. Yeah, he's not like... He's not, like, taking a step back from any of this. His just toxic masculine, like, frustration and repression is pushing him forward and, like, 
marginalizing and alienating everyone around him, but he's so arrogant that he can't recognize it. It's also the way that he treats Miss Rose, who doesn't get, we don't even know her name until later because he doesn't introduce himself to her the way that he does he to the other men. He in. Yeah. And, and takes like, control of her space. Shut the fuck and, up. And like almost physically assaults her when he yeah. tries to get the school register. And, um, and she's like, seems very intelligent, very self-possessed and is just kind of like, you're shit, like we're done talking now. But so he re- he doesn't request their the school log but sort of rips open the, her her desk and takes it out, sees Rowan's name, and then the teacher pulls him outside and says that um to them, to their society, they don't use the word dead. She doesn't even say it, she just mouths it. And they believe that human life is over uh, when human life is over. The soul returns to the trees, to the air, to the fire, to the water, to animals. Um, and then Howie questions how the children couldn't be taught about Christianity. And she says that they learn it um, in comparison to their own religion and that they believe in reincarnation and not resurrection. Um, and then when he asks the teacher where the body of Rowan is, she says, it's in the earth, of course. Um, and then she's like, bye, bitch. I got to go teach my class. Um, yeah, like, I have a fucking job. You're right. a dickhead. I'm much so, better at my job than you, so I gotta go. <laughs> I mean, basically everything that happens in this movie is just Howie expressing frustration and being the aggressor because his mainland patriarchal um, Christian societal authority is not being recognized by people that have chosen to seek an alternative way of life. Right. And it just pisses him off so much, but also I just feel like he has an erection in this entire movie. Don't yeah, he's suppressing like an erection. He's like yeah. actively trying that to push it down. That is the face of a man suppressing an erection. <laughs> um, just so kidding. He... No one has to suppress an erection around me. <laughs> <laughs> um... So he walks through the graveyard, comes upon a woman breastfeeding a baby and holding an egg. Like, I wish that other hand was holding the baby's butt because the baby is, un- <laughs> the is not is secure. Off her breast while she's like, <laughs> symbol of fertility. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, it's just like, is that how you sit all day? Or did, right. you just hear, did you hear Sergeant Howie coming? Holding the egg. Yeah, they were like tracking him through. The, I was like, I get it. I get it. Fertility. Yes. I get the egg. Um, and then he comes upon a tomb, which has, like, empty crates of what used to be apples in it, and he fucking smacks them off, he he's pissed. insane. And yeah. he, like, fashions a cross out of two pieces of wood and slaps it down like he did it anything at all. It is the most dramatic shit I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> There's a lot of sma- how he smacks things off of other things a lot in this Yeah, movie. he's like, this offends me, this offends me, this offends me. Get it out of my face. Um, and then he comes upon the groundskeeper mowing. Um, he stops to inquire about the trees they plant on the graves, and one of them is a rowan tree. And then uh, he asks the keeper who's buried there, and he says, Rowan Morrison, as if everything is fine. He's totally being gaslit. And then there's a piece of what but looks he's like... he's too stupid He's to too he's fucking stupid yeah. and arrogant to realize he's being gaslit. Every woman that has ever dated a straight man watching this movie is like, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. There. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Uh, and then the piece of string turns out to be part of her, of Rowan's flesh. And he's like, where else would it be but on the tree where she's buried? Um, and how he is... He's, like, viscerally disgusted with he's this. He's perturbed. Pretty normal yeah. thing to do, yeah. 
and he like, I calls think a lot all. of people save umbilical cords right i don't think there's, it's that unusual there's that meme of like the venn diagram of like people who save human teeth and hair and it's like serial killers and parents it's like one the other yeah i save hair and teeth like is that gross you do whose hair are you saving yours and adam's my yeah i save my own hair and my sister i picked it up for my sister who um has been squirreling away her own hair to make like a weaving with it so she has like literally bags of her own hair and then adam edit this out if you don't want people to know but adam has a bad tooth that has been just kind of breaking apart and falling out and every time a piece falls out he gives it to me and i put it in my dresser is that that bizarre (laughs) what what do you what are you gonna do with that tooth though i'm gonna save it forever okay I don't know why. I just, I'm not going to throw his tooth away. I just want to like have it. You just want to keep it. My okay, mom. Cut, cut it out in post. Cut this out for real. <laughs> yeah. uh, my mom keeps, like, kept our baby teeth. And I'm sure she my has a lock of my hair. Yeah. And I want to make some, like, like paintbrushes out of my, this next time I cut my hair. That's what That's I want to do. But. Um, when. My mom passed away. We went through this, like, big family album that had, like, tons of pictures from both sides of the family and shit. And good God was my family into saving hair chunks. Hair (laughs) chunks all over this thing. I was just, like, throwing it away because I don't really talk to my mom's family. And I was like, you know what? No one wants this hair. Like, even if I called you and said, do you want your hair for when you were five? I'm pretty sure no one would be down for it. No, I'm okay. It's got to go. Yeah. But I don't want to throw away a piece of, like, 40-year-old hair. But I guess that contradicts what I said prior. So... Life is full of mysteries, and everyone contains multitudes. Who knows? There are jars of foreskin in this movie, too. So, you know, the other people are keeping it. It's like the Mudder Museum in there. (laughs) Have you ever been there? No. The Murder Museum? Wait, the one in L.A.? The Mutter. The Mutter Museum. The Mutter Museum? Which is a museum of medical oddities in Philadelphia that I went to with my friend Alex and I loved every second of it, but I was like, I might throw up afterwards. <laughs> it smells um, heavy of formaldehyde. Like, I you did... don't want to be like, let's go to the Mutter Museum and then get Pad Thai. Like, that's not the vibe. Yeah. No, you got to take a break from life after that. I went to the Museum of Death in L.A. In L.A.? I went to that, too. Yeah. I I, I mean, I liked it. None of them are going to listen to this ever, but they need a curator. I'm like, I would love... They have a great collection, but it's a stressful place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you need... Like, let's get some exhibition um, design also, in this place, you know? I Slow can't... Down. I cannot believe that they're doing any kind of, like, you know archival restoration no. or like best practices with this collection i think that place is just gonna get like caught on fire and go up in dust or something but it's a bummer because it's like there's a lot of good stuff in there's there. yeah. good stuff and it's an interesting like people don't like to think about death i mean we do obviously because we have this podcast and whatever creeps but it's like a huge part of our of being a person and living in our society that other people prefer just to gloss over. And I think it's an important museum that should exist, but needs to exist on like a, an elevated plane and like 
should take some consideration into like archival practices and curation and for sure it's clearly just like a guy who started buying at auction and then put it in a building which is makes it you know fun and cool but it's definitely there is so much ephemera in there that like actually needs preservation Mm -hmm. um yeah so if you're listening to this museum of death people just hire one of our friends that works in museums because yeah. we've got a hundred of them. Give us a call. We know we know people. <laughs> but um, I went, also went to the outlet in New Orleans, and that mm. one was like a lot different, like way more corporate and clean, and like way more hyper curated, and just not quite as much fun. Truly, I think it could keep that like underground sort of aesthetic, but just like paying tribute to the bodies of the people who you are putting on display, you know. Yeah, and I think, like, the serial killer room being first is sort of, like, Mm. you know, like, I get it, but also, like, the death industry and the way that we think about death in America, I don't know, like, a space like that could really change people's outlooks and their perspectives and could maybe make people less terrified of facing death. I don't know. Like, I don't know, I read, I think I've mentioned Caitlin Doty before. Imagine yeah. if I was saying her name wrong. I had that, like, revelation after we last recorded and talked <laughs> about her. But YOLO. I'm sure uh, She fine. says, like, we have such an, uh, like, a strong, deep-rooted, like, fear of death that we would do anything to extend life. And so doctors have become, like, borderline irresponsible in how they approach, like, aging, ailing patients that are terminal. It's like, no matter what the quality of life is, the goal is to continue the person's life for as long as possible. And that takes away, like, their agency. And then it also creates, like, a strain on, you know, our medical industry and people's family. Like, there's so many people who suffer when you just, like, decide to extend someone's life without any quality of life, which is why I want to die when I'm 80. Exactly 80. I don't want to be, like, I think the threshold is, like, I don't want anyone else to wipe my butt. Yeah, same. Caesar and I, I mean, maybe he doesn't. Caesar and I have a suicide pact. Is that like, I demand to die first, absolutely. Because, yeah, who wants to be the leftover? You know what I mean? I can't handle that. So, like... I certainly... I mean, Adam would probably meet, like, a nicer lady than me and, like, create a full life where he wasn't married to, like, an antagonistic garbage person. But I can't, <laughs> I can't... I can't... I can't deal with that. Yeah. I gotta go first. <laughs> uh, Caesar was like... We were talking about this the other day, you know... All the time. I love talking about when I'm going to be dead. And he was, I was like, you'll meet someone new. Like, if I died tomorrow, like, you would find a nice girl who's, like, yeah. regular. And he was like, no, nah, I'd never do that. I was like, oh. He would just be single for the yeah, rest of his life. that's what he said. That's so nice. I believe Adam would probably find someone else. <laughs> right. I was like, I would want you to be happy. Go yeah, find a nice yeah. girl. Like, get, I. Yeah, like, I don't care. I'm be, dead. <laughs> right, I would want you to move on, but uh, hey, you know what? Anyway, whatever. <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, I don't know, you guys. I'm sorry. It's early in the sorry, morning. Actually, it's not that early. In the it's morning. not early in the morning. <laughs> I feel like it is. All right, all right, all right. So we go back to the candy shop. Oh yeah. Well, so before that, we go to um, how he storms into the registrar of. Marriage is birth and death, 
and demands to see... Wait, no, the candy shop happens first. The frog in Myrtle's mouth? No, that happens later. Doesn't it's it? It's also not that important to the plot, so let's just, I guess, skip it. <laughs> uh, Myrtle has a frog in her mouth at some point around this it, time. I just wanted to mention it. Maybe I, I didn't really... write it down. I have a really sensitive gag reflex, and I just almost puked because she's, like, holding in the frog and obviously wanting to spit it out. So then I copied her, and then I was like, so it's not important. It's not He goes to the registrar. (laughs) He storms into the registrar. There's a woman behind the desk. Um, He treats her with just as much ire as he does with every other woman in this movie. Um, And he demands to see the death log. And threatens to arrest her if she doesn't show it to him. And Rowan isn't there, so he didn't need to um, be mean to this woman at all. And then he leaves. He leaves without being like, I apologize for disturbing you. Yeah, he just like storms back out. Uh, He goes to see Mr. Lennox, a chemist and a photographer who has jars of foreskin and two-headed hamsters and snakes and hearts and shit. Um, And he asks him to see last year's photo of the harvest. And Mr. Lennox plays dumb, of course, and says that he doesn't have it. Um, and then how he goes. Doesn't it seem kind of funny that a society like this would circumcise babies? That's what I was thinking too. It I seems don't think like they would leave them uncircumcised, right? But maybe it's like they're taking foreskins from other sources. Like this is like to show how grotesque hmm, it is. Let's not find out what those foreskin sources are. And again, Ooh. let's not interrogate anything making us uncomfortable. <laughs> Ooh, gross. Um, so then Howie goes for a little jaunt on a carriage to see his lordship. Uh, there's lots of phallic hedges along the way. He sees naked women uh, dancing around a fire and then like a woman in white gesturing um, they're also I singing. I have a bone to pick with this scene, which is that these women all had very notable bikini lines. Like, you could see that their butts hadn't seen the light of day in years. And I was like, someone should have evened the spray tans out right. because I am totally taken out of the scene because if these people are practicing a naked fertility ritual, I, it can't be the first time they've done it. Their butts are getting sun. And yeah, I'm sure they're not like overly concerned about wearing bathing suits in the ocean. You know, I'm sure they're just, or on the cliffs. I don't know where, at the harbor. Wherever, yeah. Wherever, yeah. Um, and they're, they're singing a song about a baby inside of them um, and it growing strong. And then there's pregnant woman, women prancing among trees uh, and then how he steps into his lordship's house and there's lots of um, masculine iconography. There's antlers and animal heads and flags and weapons and a grandfather clock and pastoral paintings. Um, and then how he continues to watch the women from the window before Lord Summer Isle shows up because he's all horned up and he hey, can't admit uh, it. Is he, is he sweating? I, I think you might be sweating oh my profusely. God. Wild stuff. <laughs> um, and then his lordship pops out of the chair um, and asks. Played by Christopher Lee, who yeah. I only knew from being Saruman in Lord of the Rings when I was youthful. A youth. When you were a youth. A youthful um, youth. Yeah. <laughs> 
And he kind of points to the fact that Howie's watching the women, and he Howie's like, no, I wasn't revitalized. He's like, I don't have an erection. Why would you ask that? <laughs> and then Lord Summerall is like, I did not ask that. Um, and then Howie says that he needs permission to dig up Rowan's body and have it moved and to the mainland for Lord inspection. Lord Summerall's like, yeah, sure. Cool. And he's like, we don't believe in murder here. Um, and he gives into the request right away. He says they're deeply religious people. And how he's like, how the fuck can that be possible? Because they're not practicing his religion, and he thinks that what they're doing is wrong and filthy. Um, and then his lordship says they're, that the women dancing outside are practicing and learning their divinity um, through uh, parthenogenesis, which is reproduction mm, without... I didn't write the word down, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> it's a reproduction without sexual union. And then Howie's like, how the fuck is that possible? He's like, disgusting! These children don't know about Jesus. And then the lordship has a great line. He says... Oh my god, um, I was so happy. Uh, he's like, himself, the son of a virgin, impregnated by a ghost, I believe. I'm like, hell was, yeah! Yeah, I was like fist bumping. You know I like to... <laughs> I like to get wild when a religious man gets slammed. <laughs> right. Um... And then Lord Summerall says they're hoping as the girls, as they're jumping over the fire, to become fruitful. Um, and then he says, after all, what girl would not prefer the child of a god to that of an acne-scarred artisan? I'm like, oh, like, my fair. god. Yeah. <laughs> it was good line after good line. Um, but I also was like, I think I might be an acne-scarred artisan. So <laughs> right. I myself am an acne-scarred artisan. <laughs> um, and then... Lord we Summerisle hear the story of the the island. It yeah. goes into the history of the island. Uh, he says that the people here were starving. And then in 1868, his grandfather, a Victorian scientist and agronom, ag- agronomist. Agronomist, agronomist yeah. A person who studies agriculture. Um, bought the Wouldn't island. Wouldn't that be an agriculturalist? I don't know. Or like a science-based agronomist. Anyway. Uh, and he began changing things. He was incredulous of all human gods. Um, and he realized that the island had a unique combination of volcanic soil and the warm Gulf Stream. Um, he believed that he could produce new strains of fruit here. And he told the people of the island that if they worshipped the old old gods, they would have a bounty. But really, he was just cultivating new crops um, that would work in this climate and region. And then Lordship, uh, Lord Summer Isle says that he was brought up to uh, love and fear nature and appease it when necessary, um, and that he continues to practice this uh, his this religion that his grandfather set up uh, to like service the people basically. And then how he calls him a pagan, the and then the p word, de- the p word, and then demands Not permission phallus. to <laughs> a different p word, um, and demands permission to exude. Exhume Rowan's body, and then Lord Summerisle's like, "Chill, we already talked chill about out. this. Yeah, I, we've I've just been like being nice to you and talking to you, so get the fuck out." Um, and then Howie goes to the graveyard, and he and the groundskeeper dig up the coffin and find just a dead hair inside. Um, and then he storms back up to Lo- like Lord Summerisle's mansion and throws the Lord dead Summer hair at them. Lord is wearing quite the pussy bow. It's It is. That aggressive. pirate frill is yeah. its vibes. Um, and he and Mrs. Rose, Miss Rose are 
like singing and playing piano and they get a dead hair thrown at them and Howie's pissed. Um, and they're and, unbothered. And he's like, I will not be made a fool of, but he already has been. So. He made himself a fool. Yeah. And then uh, Lord Summer Isle and Miss Rose say it's transmutation. The hair is what's left of Rowan physically and her soul is traveling and like becoming part of nature among the island crops, etc. And Miss Rose is trying to explain this to him, like trying to tell him what happened. And how he's like, I need to go jack off. <laughs> Jesus says I can't. Yeah, and then he um, he says that he thinks that Rowan was murdered by pagan barbarity, and he plans to head to the mainland and report back and demand a full inquiry, and they're like, whatever, I don't give Fine. a shit. Fine, yeah, that's great. Uh, um, and then Lord, and then uh, Howie goes and breaks into Mr. Lennox's shop, and he develops the harvest photo from 72. He sees that it is Rowan in the photo and that there are hardly any crops, um, so he thinks that Rowan is still alive and she will be sacrificed tomorrow on May Day. Um, he goes to the public library. I love uh, the scene of him sweating and poring over his book dramatically with the like older lady just like side-eyeing him like, why are you here? You're distracting right. me. I'm trying and to read Agatha Christie. He starts, he like at first we just hear his... Um, his voiceover. voiceover but then he starts reading aloud he's sitting right next to her she's i know it's like you're being rude you are very he's been rude this whole time um so how he researches mayday festivities and um his voiceover says the festi- festivities are to usher in a bountiful harvest and include a whole drama and cast of characters the characters include a man hobby horse at the head of the procession that charges at the girls um, a man woman played by the community leader or priest a man fool called punch a simpleton and king for the day and six swordsmen who follow and at the end of the ceremony they lock their swords in a sun shape Um, traditionally at the end there is also a human sacrifice in the hopes of winning over the goddess of the fields. Well, the sacrifice only has to be human if the if harvest it's a bad has been harvest. poor. Yeah. yeah. So it can be animal in prosperous years. And uh, the human sacrifice is often drowned or burnt in a pyre or beheaded by the six swordsmen. I would most want to be beheaded, I think. It's, very, it's instant. Yeah, I don't want to drown or be set on fire. Those are terrible. Um, so the, then after the sacrifice, the priest wears the skin and leads the crowds into the streets and he represents the goddess, re, goddess reborn. Um, so Howie goes back to the harbor master, demands to be taken to his plane. Um, everyone on shore is looking on. They have their mayday masks on of like different animal creatures, like hares and what looks like foxes and hamsters i don't know rats or something there and were then, the snake cost or the fish costumes were the funniest because yeah just like the head Whoa. yeah <laughs> um he so he tries to get into his plane but it seems like it's been tampered with and it won't start and then he for some reason tells the harbor master's plan of finding rowan himself and then he sees what looks like a hobby horse character and chases after it and then finds the party starting um, Lord Summer Isle is addressing the crowd. He maps out the route of the procession and assures that there will be a sacrifice to the god Nuwada of the sun and the goddess Avenuela. 
mm-hmm. of the or- of the harvest of yeah. the orchards and the harvest. Yeah. Um, and then how he and goes, this is when he goes even crazier. He just and he starts making sweatier. weird, yeah, he's weird choices. So he goes back to May, tries to appeal to her, and says that he wants to find her daughter. She's like, Get out of here! Like, she doesn't care. Yeah. She's cutting up a like what looks like a a good cake for her her daughter. Um, and she says he should go back to the mainland and stop interfering with things that don't concern him. I have um, to agree. I would agree with May. He says that he's going to go into every house and search for Rowan, and then there's a montage that I thought was pretty comical. I was, like, dying of laughter. <laughs> because it's also, like, corn rigs and barley rigs, and, like, the whole time. <laughs> and he's, like, so, waltzing into people's houses. He's just, like, throwing open doors, pulling back curtains with so much panache. He finds a librarian in the tub and sweats at her, like, yeah. obviously wanting to fuck her, and then he's, like, gotta go! Like, not excuse me or like i think he says i'm sorry he's like he oh i'm sorry uh, like literally finds like children's toys and throws knocks them, them off the bed because they are <laughs> maybe in, like, in a, a sexy sexual, position yeah. he is just like a child having a tantrum it is hilarious and the the song was making me die of laughter also yeah and then a little girl like, pretends to be dead yeah, she oh, yeah, like he like opens too. he opens a wardrobe and a girl like falls face first onto the floor and then he like bends down to check on her and she smiles and like gets up and canters off like yeah bitch you're stupid like yeah, everyone you're a fucking idiot and everyone hates you. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> locals are just show as he's barging into their homes they're like oh look at what my harvest festival outfit is and then. He's like, I'm the salmon of knowledge. It's just like, <laughs> they don't take him seriously I at all. I want to be the salmon of knowledge for uh, Halloween next year. <laughs> it's a good costume. Um, and then he finds nothing. He storms back to the inn. He's taunted by the landlord who tells him to stay in bed all night because they don't relish strangers around today. Um, and then Willow and Adler, thinking he's asleep, light a hand of glory to make him rest for a couple days. Um I looked up a hand of glory. Do you want to hear what I discovered? Yes, I would love to. According to old European beliefs, it's a candle made from the fat of a malefactor, which I think is a bad person. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a like a different Wikipedia page. Okay, yeah. <laughs> malefactor, criminal or felon, evildoer. Mm, nice. Okay. So who died on the gallows. So it's when it's lighted and placed like a candlestick and the hand of glory – uh, the person who they're trying to be, which will be rendered motionless, and um, the only way to put it out is with milk, Ooh. which is like gross. Yeah, <laughs> kind of gross. Uh, but he just knocks it off his bed and then like puts the flames out with his fingers. Um, yeah, he's like. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> uh, so then Ow! he like is sneaking around the the inn and he sees Adler getting dressed as Punch, the fool. And he knocks him out with the candlestick. He like hits him. Not he hits him on the hunch of the costume. Like there's no way he actually. I know. Knocks I was like, you can't feel that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, it was like Alice swinging her baseball bat around all over again <laughs> on Friday the thirteenth. And uh, so then he takes the costume, dresses his punch, and ties up Adler. And then he. Becomes a reluctant participant at first, and then he kind of gets into it. He starts slapping women on the butt with his little you balloon know, thing. With, I mean, it goes without saying. He has an erection in that costume. He for sure has one. 
Um, and their the procession their procession goes through the town and is led through their these stonehenge archways into like where the women were dancing over the fire. The swordsmen cross their swords into the star shot pattern, and then people start coming through, putting their heads up um, while everyone chants "chop chop chop chop." Um, Howie puts his head through, but doesn't get it chopped off. And then the next figure with the hair hair head mask on is fake beheaded. Um, and and then it's the funniest thing that's ever happened. And then Lord Summerisle leads them all to the beach where he cuts open a barrel of ale and then reveals Rowan up at the top of the cliffs at the mouth of a cave. She's dressed all in white with a flower crown and a necklace. The May Um, Queen. The May Queen. And Howie runs up to her. He punches people He's and like, then, I'm not conspicuous. Right. <laughs> I'm just I'm supposed to be running up here. And then he unties Rowan. The two flee into the cave. Rowan says she knows the way out. Um, but when they reach the top, uh Lord Summerisle and everyone are waiting for him. Rowan, and they're like, You fucking dumbass. Yeah. He, and then Rowan so, asks if she did it right. She's yeah. Like, did and, I do good? Yeah. Summer Isles, like, you did it beautifully. She's reunited with her mother. And then... Who is Mae Morrison. Who is actually Mae Morrison. And then Lord Summer Isle welcomes Howie and says he has become... He has come here to this anointed place of his own free will. And then he reveals that he and the island have been controlling his every action since he arrived. And that um, he had his... I don't know that doesn't... i sorry, I wrote a sentence that didn't make any sense, even to me. Um, the game is over. The game's over. behaviors have been controlled. So right. they need a sacrifice to the harvest god. And they literally researched him mm-hmm. and freaking manipulated and gaslit him into coming to this island. Like, Because props. he's their perfect... He's uh, a fool, a virgin, and he has the power of a king because he's the a imagined lawman. power of the yeah, king. Yeah, literally. And then the whole procession sort of closes in on him. They strip he's him down. He's yelling about God. Like yeah, it's not even worth the whole time. What he's yelling he's, about nothing God. Nothing that he says matters. Um, they wipe him down. They dress him in white. They put yellow paint on him, um, and then he's shouting. He believes in eternal life that's promised to and him like, by his lord. That, and then, like, Lord Summerall is like, great, be a martyr. That's great for you people. Yeah. And I was like, good point. Touché. He's like, you can hang out in heaven with the saints and the other martyrs. You'll be part of the elite. Um, and that, and then how he says that next year it'll fail again. And the only person who will, who is worth sacrificing at that time will be Lord Summerisle. I'm like, you don't know fucking that. You don't know shit about shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so they lead him to a giant pyre. His appointment with the Wicker Man. Yeah. Uh, It's a huge pyre in the shape of a man. They passed like a very dick-like tree on their way. It was just like a single dick tree silhouetted on the cliff. I I didn't see that. Well, every phallus you don't see, that's why you've got me to pick up the phalluses you miss. Um, there's also, like, I didn't feel bad for Howie in this moment. I did feel bad for the pigs and cows and chickens in this pyre. I thought it was good to have them there because when he was praying, they were like, wah, wah, wah. and he seemed really Around stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so they lock Howie in, um, and they start singing and dancing. They light the structure on fire. Howie's shouting the whole time, like, don't do this. You could 
you could not do this. Uh, and then he starts praying, and then he succumbs to the fire, and uh, and that's it. That's well, he's sh- yelling also Daniel, Daniel at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, Daniel is in the Bible. He was the person that got thrown into the lion's den, and uh, Jesus saved him or whatever. And then he stayed true to God, like, even after the Assyrian rule was taken over by whatever, Jerusalem. I don't fucking know. I did go to a lot of Bible school, though. I did not, and I know nothing about anything. I'm fine with that. So, though. yeah, our last shot is we get a final song, one last folk song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As like, hey. yeah. swaying, <laughs> lots of swaying. Uh, uh, yeah. And then uh, we see the final image is the wicker man burning against the sunset, which was beautiful. It was a beautiful last scene. The end. Finn. So, I love this movie. What did you think it was, of it? I really liked it. I thought it was a fun time. I thought it was, I, like, um, interesting. This is probably the first, like, folk horror movie that I saw and, like, really understood. The concept is a little bit new to me because I have long been a horror fan, but not a very discerning one. I'll literally watch anything. So Yeah, me too. Folk horror encaps- encapsulates rural settings with themes of isolation, religion, the power of nature and, nature and darkness in rural landscapes. I and definitely... the term comes oh, from um, British director Piers Haggard. Do you know Piers Haggard? I don't. We're not good at our jobs. I'm not. <laughs> like, I know nothing. I truly. But it's a description for the 1971 film Blood and Satan's Claw. So I guess that uh, is, it's a pretty new at the time that this movie is made. I mean, I, there, like, this movie came out in 72, 73? 73. This was, like, very, at the time, jarring for audiences, I'm sure, who, like, there wasn't, it's not quite a horror, it's, like, not a horror movie in, like, a Hitchcock sense horror right. movie. It's, like, a sort of mystery, sort of thriller slow burn kind of because nothing scary happens until he's thrown into a pyre i don't even think that's scary because i was like cheering i was swaying (laughs) but i think that like like if we had a hero that was a hero that we like truly um genuinely aligned ourselves with and not and like this dumb fuck Howie that was making the decisions and moving through the plot the way that Howie did, we would be like, Jesus Christ. But watching this dick face get gaslit and manipulated by people smarter than him that have accepted a countercultural way of life was so fun. I was like, yes, give me more. Yeah, it was, he, he was truly the worst. He was, I, in my notes, I say, He's such a prude, it hurts. Like, it's, he's... It, like, made me feel like I was repressing an erection. Right. I was like, yeah, he's I was like, such a fucking buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> and he's ineffectual. He's perpetually sweaty. He's pushing everyone around. He's quick to anger. Like, he's just Don't the Don't you get worst. the sense, too, that his superiors in, like, the force were like, yeah, Sure, you go do this, you fucking idiot. No one cares, yeah. We don't give a shit what happens to you. And then at the end, he says, um, people will notice. And then Lord Summer of the Isles is like, we've taken care of it, and no one gives a shit. They already think you drowned, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So what's your take? So I read some sources. Uh, One 
essay that I want to give a shout out to, which was super helpful and maybe was just like written by a college senior or maybe this person is like an actual academic living lives. But it's called Witches, Bitches or Feminist Trailblazers, The Witch in Folk Horror Cinema. Did you read it? I didn't read it. Uh, And the author of that is Chloe Germain Buckley. Uh, And one quote that I read from this article that really um, summed up how I feel about this movie is that it's a countercultural celebration of sexuality clashing with patriarchal anxieties that frame the female body as a site of fear. Because I think that not unlike how we approach Candyman, which is like this is either an extremely racist movie or Mm -hmm. an extremely progressive movie based on your framing, this could either be like an anthem of sort of like female empowerment and freedom and like taking back agency or it can be an understanding and a visual of how different uh, power systems work still under the patriarchy. So it's not a Christian patriarchy, but it is still the same like systems of power uh, and gatekeeping as a patriarchal system because Lord Summerisle, you know, is, is the leader. Yeah. I don't know that because so I don't know how they how this society really views gender because clearly they're obsessed with penises and they think that like the songs that they're singing at the Maypole and this huge celebration is like of the man's seed, right? And the And there's and, I, there is a gender binary. You see Right. The girls the are woman, separated. The girls do their fertility rights, the men do different fertility rights that focus more on the regenerative power of the penis instead of like the actual like you know person that carries the child to term and then we see like the only time we see a baby it's just being you know held and breastfed by its mother with no father figure parent around so clearly it's like a traditional heteronormative society Mm -hmm. where there's a clear gender binary in a lot of ways and it seems, yeah, because they're so focused on on babies and reproduction that women are reduced to their motherhood. Even Mae Morrison is, like, the mother of this missing girl, and so she should be paying attention. And, like, all the pregnant women prancing through the fields and these girls, these young girls jumping over the fire in hopes that they will be impregnated is, like, that's their end goal, is to be a but mother. But then the three women that are not mothers or are not openly seen to be mothers are the librarian, Miss Rose, and Willow. Mm -hmm. And they're all, like, hypersexualized, characterized in, like, a slutty way. Like, the landlord's daughter has an entire song about how her vagina has, like, gotten a lot of action. Uh, We see the, you know, librarian bathing, and then we see Miss Rose in sort of a compromising state when he, uh, when Howie barges into Summer Isle's um, estate with the hair. So if you are not a mother or you're not seeking fertility or motherhood, then you are completely focused on sex for sex's sake, sex's sake, and you're a slut or a whore. Which is like, I... Yeah, you can see it as either being sexually open and, like, it's totally okay to want to have as, you know, as much sex as you want or as, like, if you're, then you're, you're only being used for your parts because either you're, you can't have babies or you've already had them or, you know, so. I don't know. I think that, 
as far as like the genre of the witch as grotesque, we see that subversion because obviously all these women, you know, worship the old gods are imbued with some level of like giftedness with witchcraft or at least like their old religion. You know, uh, Willow has the hand of glory, which has magical Mm -hmm. qualities. So we do see subversion of the grotesque hag-like witch, but then we see that only on a surface level and that they're physically attractive and appealing and sexually liberated to the point that it fits the needs of the patriarchy that they live in. So it is good and enjoyable to watch this because, you know, I appreciate the Islanders for all the things that they are, which is a self-sustaining society with community care you know, its own agricultural system and food system and a government that is not like a violent police state and imperialist government system, governing system. But it also falls short in its treatment of the gender binary and heteronormative mm-hmm. practices. Because, yeah, it's still a man in power and it's the only woman who owns a shop is Mae Morrison. And it's like the landlord and the guy. But it's and also the like a traditionally female because of the sweets because of the sweets right yeah and so it's still even in this this pure utopian society we still have these these and the boys and girls are separated for their educational experiences um but all in all i would be cool with living on summer isle it seems nice there's it's nothing but white people there there's not they're pale Pink-cheeked, it's it's a lot. White, white, white people. White, white, yeah. as white as can be. Um, and yeah, we don't see any other sexuality. Like, they're not open to, like, two other sexualities besides... And there is a huge focus on female and male. Right. And it doesn't seem like there's space carved out for transgender people or non-binary people. Like, mm-hmm. it's a liberated society to the extent that it still fits the norms established by a victorian white man yeah because it wasn't that long ago and then christopher lee is still alive right Right now i think he either is still alive or died recently let's find out go into the book because he is yeah this was 73 he looked uh, a little long in the tooth then as well he died in oh 2015 at 93 wow i think he had a good enough run he did great. He did, I he did look a little long in the tooth. I would have had sex with him in a hot second. He's so charming. He's like I I don't know. So this movie is like I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be rooting for. I know for sure I'm rooting for Lord Summerisle and that Howie's a shit. But like, is it just because Christopher Lee is super charming? Like, well, also like what is were you know vehement socialists, communist, anti cop proponents so uh to us because we admire the model of community care mutual aid self-sustaining food sovereignty all of these things like it's an easy step for me to say like fuck the police fuck this idiot cop also Mm -hmm. i was raised in christianity and escaped with my life thankfully (laughs) because it can be really hard to get out of like the conditioning and the cult that is the christian church so for me i'm like complete rejection of everything that Howie stands for but 
I don't know. It's it's kind of an interesting question because this movie did come out during a cultural countercultural movement that mm-hmm. was seeing like a return to folk music, astrology, paganism in Britain. So it's not immediately clear who like the ambiguity of who you're supposed to side with is there. Uh, but I think it just depends on who's watching the movie. Right. Similar to, I mean, literally every movie, every piece of art is that's what it is apparently the remake with Nicolas Cage from 2006 which I have not seen clearly demonizes the pagan women Mm. uh, as sort of like witch sluts that completely destroy all human life with our surprise surprise yeah yeah, because I like I really think that they're villainizing Christianity as being this like suppressing repressive governing like he uncontrolled it just makes you sweat yeah. right which just makes you sweat he can't he can't break himself can't out function. of this he's yeah. so brainwashed that he can't even look past because willow is calling to him in the night and if he had just gone and slept with her like he wanted to he would still be alive he could so. be happily living on summer isle today and yeah, realizing that willow. sex isn't terrifying and right. sex outside of marriage is a pretty normal, healthy thing to undertake. And that women and their vaginas aren't inherently terrifying. And, and they're not inherently here to like, yeah, like what are you afraid will happen? You're not going to get like swallowed by the jaws of a vagina. Like right. they just exist, you know? <laughs> they're not here for you. Uh, but he. No, our vaginas are not here to like alter the course of any male identifying person's <laughs> life. Like, I don't care what happens to you yeah <laughs> except for adam and caesar but well i don't think that my vagina has con- you know significantly changed adam's life except that it's the only one he'll ever get to see again <laughs> hey. <laughs> um but yeah i don't know the may morrison as a character is um she's, she's like what i say chubby and cheerful like a- that's yeah, she's like the archetype of like a Jane Austen matriarchal figure. Just like, mm-hmm. oh, isn't it? Like, my girls are right here having tea. Like, that was bad. <laughs> Scottish it? accents are hard. Oh, I wasn't even trying to do Scottish. I was You're trying to do Cockney. Irish. That was Cockney, the only yeah, thing yeah. I could access. Yeah. Uh, I did a good one while I was watching the movie, but I have to hear it again before I can do it. Uh, I won't ask you to because I feel embarrassed about what just happened to me. It <laughs> sounded great. Um, yeah, she's like frighteningly upbeat. She's like, put this toad in your mouth. And now that poor little toad has your croak. Can't you hear him? And then, you know, and she's like, my daughter's not missing. Shut up and leave. And like, do you want, I don't know. She's like. Yeah, she's aggressively positive. Mm-hmm. There is no space for her to experience nuance or be like act out the feelings that she has towards the sergeant because he's being openly hostile and rude Mm -hmm. and invading her space without invitation but because she is like she's the only person that we see that's even moderately overweight too like so she is like established as mother because she's kind of like doughy and has an old like curlered hairdo and wears like a frilly pink dress so she her sexuality and her agency are completely removed she's already had two children uh, and she's only involved in the right to the extent that she is offering her child for the completion of the right but it doesn't seem like she really benefits from it in any way 
And it just, she's just an incidental plot device. She's not a person or a character. And we, I mean, speaking of like the putting women in certain roles, we never see or hear about Rowan or Myrtle's father. Or you know, he's not involved. Oh, that didn't bother me that much. I was like, whatever. I mean, right. But it's like, so the raising I mean, of these two girls. Oh, falls like essentially falls only to just May. to her. Yeah. But we can also sort of uh, glean that traditional heterosexual marriage structures don't exist here, right? That ever that it's a community rearing of children. Yeah, which isn't a bad idea. <laughs> Truly. And Lord Summerisle, I mean, I love him. He doesn't... It seems like his exchange with Rose is consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, there doesn't seem to be like a sexual element to how people approach Lord Summerisle. Except at the end, I guess, when he has, like, the three bombacious, bodacious blondes around him. Yeah. And he dresses as this man-woman. Right. He seems kind of gender fluid, actually. He does seem a little gender fluid. It's like his waifish sort of body type. And when he's in the long wig. um, Yeah, so he doesn't seem... And, yeah, it seemed kind of... Uh, friendly rather than sexual yeah Yeah, what his exchanges with miss rose when they're she's like sitting on the fur rug singing um and he seems to he seems to know everyone in on this island and care for them and is willing to sacrifice this shithead who represents everything that they stand against in order to bring them food causing harm to their community who storms in antagonizing them is completely antagonistic almost assaults you know several people in pursuit does insult assault several people yeah which i think is funny because then they're like your punch yeah uh yeah and he's in pursuit of something he has taken no time to reflect on he doesn't call in backup he's extremely arrogant he uh, just assumes that he can occupy any space he wants because he has a badge. And when the badge doesn't work on people, he becomes so aggressive and so demanding and unkind instead of just, like, acting like a per- person, like a normal like a person regular that's person. not sweating. Yeah. So I'm glad he Although he, he does look like me walking to work in the summer. That's what I look Super like. Super sweaty. Sweating I mean, my balls off. Everyone's sweaty. Boston summers are swamp ass. Brutal. Disgusting. As well as the winters. Um, It sucks here. (laughs) Yeah, I sweat in the winter too with my fucking beanie on and my sweater and the big jacket. You pay a reasonable amount of money to live in a place with a pool. That just pisses me off. Yeah, it's nice. Two pools. (laughs) Uh, Right now it's a little too chilly. It's 55 today. It's warmer here. It's like 75 and humid. Weird. It's nice. I'm going to wear a jacket later. I'm excited. Shut up. Don't brag. (laughs) Humble brag. So this film is very well documented in film history. I think Mm -hmm. there are like 500 essays on it. I'm sure that we didn't break any new ground, but I love this movie. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was. um, We do some highbrow, some lowbrow. This is definitely a highbrow movie. Hey, I bring a little lowbrow to anything I touch. I mean, same. What have I said? I have <laughs> terrible taste. But so, yes, I found, do you want to hear a fact about I the movie? Love, I would love to hear a fact. This is from, as um, the Bechtel cast refers to it, scholarly journal, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the image of the wicker man was taken from a sentence in Julius Caesar's account of wars in current day France. Mm. He saw said that he saw the local tribes uh, executing their most serious criminals by burning them alive in a huge man-shaped sculpture of woven twigs. So that is where the screenwriter, uh, something Schaefer, fuck. Yeah. Schaefer, Schaefer. Anthony Schaefer. Anthony. uh, Got that idea. It was uh, it was a good sculpture, a good structure. It was. Yeah. I also thought it was funny that um, Howie turned over this whole fucking island, but didn't notice them building like a hundred foot twig sculpture. <laughs> yeah, and he like, where were they he's keeping bad... Rowan? I'm sure it wasn't. She wasn't hiding that well. Like, he's I think just she an was idiot. probably at Lord Summer Isles because it was like such a spacious estate. Yeah. But yeah, Howie's a bad cop, and that he's bad at his job, and that he's a bad person. Um, with a small mind and probably an erection that he's still nursing as the wicker yeah. man. Wicker he, man blows up. I wrote, th- he throws a hissy fit a lot. He's just like throwing he hissy has, fits. He's so dramatic. He is like a four-year-old when you're like, no, you can't draw on the walls. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have children. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. Right. I mean, I think kids can handle their emotions better than how he can, honestly. Yeah. But. This so this movie is based on a novel or a novel called mm-hmm. Ritual is the jumping off point by David Pinner. So I was like, oh, I'll add it on Goodreads, and then because uh, I'm obsessed with Goodreads, have I mentioned this? No, no. It's basically like an app where you can see what your mm-hmm. friends are reading, but like you can keep tally and set goals. It's weirdly motivating. Like I remember that from like I a don't few know why my tiny computer phone can like make me read more than I've ever read in my adult <laughs> life. But I'm like, yeah, I gotta meet my goal. So I went to add this uh, novel ritual, and it had two stars. I think so. I was like. Mm. I don't want to struggle through like a two star novel written by a white man in 1970. That sounds hard. So yeah. I gave up. <laughs> I, I don't I have easily any give up. Yeah. <laughs> allegiance to like finishing a book if I don't like it. It's the same. Oh, as... No, I have to finish. I can't abandon a book. I do all the time. I'm like, this isn't working out. I got to go. And my friend, my friend Alex that lives in Philly will attest like I can hate watch anything. I have like a deep well of capacity to just hate watch garbage i do like a good hate watch but i think it's because movies are short and it's over like i have to really dedicate my time and energy into finishing this book that i don't like no i can't no i'll do it even if i hate it <laughs> but i don't if know you're a therapist other... explain my problem to me <laughs> compulsion sorry right. uh, do you have any final thoughts on this movie I don't think so. I mean, I, I yeah, I liked it. I would be a pagan. I'm I'm chill with that. I mean, I would if I felt like I needed religion, but I feel perfectly fine secular without religion at all. Yeah. <laughs> Swimming in the secular over here too. Hey, if you think life is meaningless, shit doesn't feel as serious, honestly. And because I Because you're not like searching for meaning in a sea of just totally nonsensical circumstances you're just kind of like well that's how it happened (laughs) yeah and i don't think and like people's argument of morality is like if your religion is the only thing tying you to your morality i'm a little scared i'm scared Yeah, especially like in christianity if you only think that you should do good things so you get into heaven and don't go to hell what does that say about the core of your personhood exactly like explain it to me i'm willing to listen 
I, um, listen, practice whatever religion you want don't, as long as you're not hurting don't anyone. Don't anyone else do it. Don't talk to other people. Don't try to don't. convert anyone. No one fucking cares. Don't act like Howie, who is affronted that no one else is a Christian on this aisle. Like, Hashtag leave them don't alone. don't be Howie. Yeah. Don't be a Howie, who's real, whose first name is Neil. Uh, um, I kind of, th- I kind of like, like the name Neil. 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 I am Neil. I, I am Neil. Oh, sorry. If your name is Neil, we're sorry. Uh, so, you just said you uh, like it. Neil. Neil. So uh, go visit our Instagram. We're at spooky succubus underscore cast. There you can see our website uh, that links to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I don't know where you're listening to this right now, but, you know, keep Thanks. at it. Um, please, please like us on our rate us review us subscribe please you guys mm-hmm. come on we appreciate it two seconds out of your day you guys everyone who's still here and we have a patreon so you can see that in our link tree on instagram and um next week is one that i think we're both very excited about so which excited is about. house of a thousand corpses and here's a teaser uh i once met rob zombie and sherry moon zombie because they moved to my hometown for like a year and we really? walked past them on the sidewalk yeah huh did you stop yeah. and say hello we just said hello like you say hello to someone on the sidewalk on the when sidewalk. you're walking past them yeah Interesting. It's, they actually got kind of like harassed out of town i feel bad about it <laughs> mm, i believe it yeah but they're they were cool and hot and i kind of have a boner for sherry moon zombie like I uh, really like li- I like feel things. <laughs> I think most people do, right? I don't know. I don't know if I blonde women is my thing. It's just Sherry Moon Zombie. Just her. It's like her yeah. manic energy. It's her, her whole like... energy, like her laugh, her voice. Yeah, the way she carries herself. That. Stop! <laughs> I'm gonna get revved up. All right, we'll see you next week for House okay. of a Thousand Corpses. Thank you. Bye. We love you. Bye. Thank you.